Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Hello, everyone. It's CW. Thank you for checking out the Health Connect South radio show. And on this week's episode, we focused on childhood obesity and what some local leaders in our community are trying to do to tackle this problem among the residents of Cobb and Douglas County. If you look at the American Heart Association's website talking about childhood obesity, you'll see some startling statistics. Today, about one in three American kids and teens is overweight or obese. That's nearly triple the rate in 1963. Among children today, obesity is causing a broad range of health problems that previously weren't seen in until adulthood. These include high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and elevated blood cholesterol levels, among others. And there are also psychological effects. Obese children are more prone to low self-esteem, negative body image, and depression. And excess weight at young ages has been linked to higher and earlier death rates in adulthood. As part of this week's discussion, we focused on two more programs that are part of the Cobb 2020 initiative, created and implemented by the Cobb Douglas Department of Public Health under the direction of Dr. Jack Kennedy. It aims to address a number of public health concerns that erode the level of health and quality of life for many of the over 850,000 residents who live in those counties. One key area of focus for the initiative is childhood obesity among student-age residents of Cobb and Douglas counties. And among the 29 public health programs that make up Cobb 2020 initiative are the Power Up for 30 and the Shared Spaces programs. These programs are focused on getting young residents moving more throughout their school day as well as beyond those hours into the afternoon and weekends. I sat down with District Director for Chronic Disease and Injury, Wendy Parker, and Mark Anderson, he's the supervisor of health and physical education for the Cobb County School District, to learn more about how these programs are working and the resources they're trying to identify in the community. The Shared Spaces program, for example, seeks to partner with community organizations that have playgrounds, gyms, tracks, trail spaces, etc., giving area residents access to these resources when they're not being used, particularly for the young people in the community. In this way, we can see declines in rates of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and others, and students enjoy academic performance upticks to boot. Here's Wendy talking about the Shared Spaces program. Check it out. One of the reasons I'm here today is to really talk about an initiative with COP2020 that is called Sharing Spaces. Some people refer to it as joint use agreements, where we really want to partner with agencies in Cobb County and hopefully, you know, be a mentor for other communities in the state where we can work with organizations that have physical fitness, either facilities, equipment or spaces, if you will, that they are willing to share to our community so that we can increase physical activity. Our goal, ultimately, whether it's through Cobb 2020 or public health, Georgia Department of Public Health, is to get our communities healthy. We've got to get them more active. We've got to change the way that we eat so that we can decrease our risk of chronic disease. Stick around. We've got the full interview with Wendy Parker and Mark Anderson coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South Radio Show, episode 44. Wow, I can't believe it's 44 already. That's right. We're coming up on, on a full year of doing this program, and I've really been pleased to be doing so with Health Connect South. That's Jay Schaefer from Health Connect South with me in the studio today. How are you doing, C.W.? Doing great. And from what I understand, there are, is an event coming up fairly soon. Do we have information up on the yeah, website? Yes, fe- yeah. Mark your calendars, February 9th in Nashville, it's going to be investing in healthcare startups. So stay tuned. There'll be more details, more speakers announced. Also, uh, Health Connect South sent out a survey yesterday. We're really interested to hear from our constituents, the people that we serve here in the Southeast. So if you get a chance to fill out the survey, you'll be entered in a drawing to win a Fitbit. So the drawing will be on December 31st. It'll make a new year, nice New Year's uh, resolution, get a Fitbit and provide some information to Health Connect South. 
And obviously, one of the big goals of the Health Connect South platform is to bring awareness to a variety of uh, initiatives that will improve the health of our community. And back in September, we had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Kennedy from the Cobb 2020 initiative that encompasses both Cobb and Douglas counties. Um, over 800, 850,000 people are affected by those efforts and um, learning about the full scope of the COP 2020 initiative, which includes over at least 29 different programs aimed at uh, addressing a number of different healthcare concerns in the community. We told them, we're going to have to have you come back and talk more about different programs that you have going on with that so we can get the information out about those. And here they are. And here we have them today. <laughs> we're going to be talking with Wendy Parker. She's the district director for chronic disease and injury um, at part of the Cobb 2020 initiative. So, Wendy, I, th- I appreciate you taking some time with us. We're going to be talking about childhood obesity. Yes, thank you. And obviously, that's a big problem affecting a large number of the people in our population. And then she brought with her Mark Anderson. He's the supervisor for health and physical education for Cobb County School District. So thanks for taking some time to fight through the traffic and join us here in the studio. Good morning. <laughs> so, so Wendy, let's talk about the childhood uh, obesity Um how big of a problem is it? I mean, how many students would you say is a, as from a statistical perspective, mm-hmm. are we talking about here? Well, we know in Georgia that obesity affects over 900,000 children. So when we have inactive children, we know that they're more likely to become more suspect to chronic disease in the future, diabetes, coronary heart disease, stroke. So we know that if we can increase physical activity for families and children, we can improve health. And just for, to give us some background, I mean, how did you, you know, come into the role that you're in where you're focusing on addressing the, you know, chronic disease and injury among uh, this population? Which, what brought you here? Well, thankfully, before I got here in July, we had uh, great predecessors who, with COP2020 and the MAP program, which is mobilizing for um, action, you know, with planning and partnerships in a community. So through the work of COP2020, and we've got you know, community organizations and individuals that are just really dedicated to promoting healthy behaviors, um, the platform kind of already exists. Mm -hmm. So in order to move it forward, we've got some implementation teams that include healthy lifestyles and access to health services. And through those teams, we really have a kind of like a platform where we can work on specific chronic disease prevention programs that are already, you know, here. So, and how do you tie in the the effort to thwart you know more children developing obesity and then also trying to address at the same time I'm sure some of the work that Mark is doing through the physical activity side of things obviously ties right into this mm-hmm. and into that uh, power up for thirty program. How does that all tie together in terms of being able to educate the schools on what they should be doing to try to help you know mm-hmm. move this initiative forward for their students how does that how does that get executed? Well, we are very fortunate in public health to have a lot of partners. One of those is Healthcare Georgia Foundation, where we've received a three-year funding, uh, you know, amount of funds so that we can really work on childhood obesity. And through those dollars, we have been able to work with six of the Cobb County schools. Mark will talk a little bit more about that, but their school wellness councils. We've got six schools where they've started councils. They've started doing things like uh, building school gardens to teach the children at a very early age how 
making your own food and how to prepare it healthy. And hopefully they can send and take some of those, you know, programs home. Additionally, through the work of those school wellness councils, you know, they've really tried to incorporate physical activity in the classrooms through the Power Up for 30, through Georgia Shape. But with us, we really want to look at things beyond the classroom. So for one of the reasons I'm here today is to really talk about an initiative with COP2020 that is called Sharing Spaces. Some people refer to it as joint use agreements, where we really want to partner with agencies in Cobb County and hopefully, you know, be a mentor for other communities in the state where we can work with organizations that have physical fitness, either facilities, equipment or spaces, if you will, that they are willing to share to our community so that we can increase physical activity. Our goal, ultimately, whether it's through Cobb 2020 or public health, Georgia Department of Public Health, is to get our communities healthy. We've got to get them more active. We've got to change the way that we eat so that we can decrease our risk of chronic disease. And when you're talking about the shared usage, you're talking about things like um, religious facilities, churches often will have like basketball courts or gyms, um, different playgrounds uh, that may be around either on church type properties or even schools that maybe can open up the access. Because a lot of times, uh, particularly around the high schools, for example, like the the tracks are locked and different things like that. Some of their facilities are locked up and you Mm -hmm. can't get access to it, say, after hours or weekends, different things like that. Is that what we're talking about? Getting some of those organizations to be able to say, hey, we will share usage with this with the community. Exactly. We are looking for agencies to make either community declarations to the community members that live right there or a formal joint use agreement, like maybe a government agency with a school or with a church where we can join those facilities and make it available to the community. And we have to figure out a lot of pieces to that, though. It's a it's a large puzzle for us right now, but we really want to develop a program and a platform and a marketing initiative of those spaces so that people are aware of what's available to them in their community. Mm-hmm. It's not just the Cobb, you know, Parks and Rec and all of our municipality things that are available to our community mm-hmm. members. Not only do we need to advertise that more, but we need to see where else we can identify some partnerships. So right now we're in the initial planning stages of that, trying to get the partners on board. We've surveyed our community to determine what facilities are interested in talking about this and really having those conversations. Mm-hmm. We look to get into the implementation phase, hopefully, you know, before spring. So, so you went around and looked in the community to see mm-hmm. where you could identify where some of these places and actually then prompt some conversations with them to say, hey, would you be interested? We have. We have done focus group surveys. We've done um, actual surveys through the Cobb Chamber with the Cobb 2020 support. So we've really had good uh, grassroots, if you will, uh, effort in terms of trying to identify what is available, but also who's interested right now, because there are many different things we have to think about. Obviously, if you look at like a tiered approach, if you look at like tier one facilities, like we might have our schools, our parks and recs that are readily available, but then we might have a tier three that's, you know, a professional organization um, that has an office suite that has, you know, exercise facilities and uh, nice walking tracks around their facility that they might be able to welcome some community members to use that. And there's liability associated with that. We've been talking with Wendy Parker, District Director of Chronic Disease and Injury for the Cobb and Douglas Public Health Department, learning about how they're trying to tackle the the rates of obesity, uh, both existing as well as the risk for developing obesity among our students and young people in the community. Obviously, if we can head that off at an early 
phase in their life, then we can prevent many of the downstream diseases that come along with that, the conditions mm-hmm. like heart disease, stroke, uh, amputations, uh, early death, you name it. Obviously, that particular population is very much at risk for developing some of those very expensive mm-hmm. and life-altering conditions. So um, tackling that early is obviously a key strategy. And as you've been talking with some of these partners in the community that have resources like what you're talking about, maybe they have gymnasiums or trails or whatever the case may be that can be a good place for our young people and their families to actually get out and start to move more in a safe environment. Are you finding some good response from the folks in the community to be able to say, yes, we will partner with you and be a part of this? Yes, we've had um, probably five to six organizations that have already come forward shown an interest. The school system is one of those. So I'm really appreciative to Mark's support on that. Um, you know, we've we've gone through a lot of changes with public health in the last year in the sense once they started, you know, the MAP tool was created back in 2001 through, you know, the CDC and several other partners. And it really helped the community decide how do you mobilize your community to make community members more healthy and to improve our you know, overall health outcomes. And with that tool and really evaluating our health through the public health staff, we've been able to bring more partners to the table. Once we did that through COP 2020 and the Chamber and just so many other uh, partners, the YMCA, just to name a few, we've really been able to identify, you know, the three to five things that we really want to focus on. So we're really excited about the Sharing Spaces initiative. We're in the beginning stages of it. Um, so much more to come over the next six years, well, six months, rather, and, for sure. And somebody's had a house full of kids on a cold winter day. <laughs> uh, the options are one of the places with the inflatables, you know, the Monkey Joes or whatever, <laughs> or the Cobb Aquatic Centers. Those are always a nice option. But it would be nice to just go down the street to the local gym and let mm-hmm. the kids blow off some steam. Of Truly. course. Yeah. yeah, we've got to teach our kids to be healthy, so... And one of the things you mentioned briefly earlier, Wendy, was the wellness councils and schools. Talk about that. What, who who makes up that wellness council and what are they trying to do within the, the various schools? Well, we got lucky. Uh, we're working with six schools specifically um, just because those were some partnerships that were already uh, vested with us. And many times it falls on the PE teachers and, and those that may be teaching some of the health-related Uh, information in the schools, when they start thinking about a wellness council, some of them don't really know who should be on that team. And what we do from a public health perspective is is we really try to talk with them about a multidisciplinary approach. It's really strategic to try to get your nutrition director, Mm -hmm. you know, on board, the cafeteria manager. We definitely want to see some administrative links in that council as well so that they can help make some decision, not on policy, because policy is made at the district level, but maybe some rules for that school. You know, maybe they, you know, put up no idling signs for the asthma, you know, affected children so that we look at a clean air environment. So we really try not only to do a council from a multidisciplinary approach, but also a multi-topic approach. We want to do health an entire health arena. We want to talk about prevention overall. So the school wellness councils, a lot of them have nine to 10, you know, members on their team and they're focusing on, you know, how do we want to implement increased physical activity? And that's really Mark's shop. You know, he's he's over all of that. And we've just kind of been um, a partner coming in with some of these six 
key schools. And um, Albert Case is our school wellness manager and our adolescent health manager with public health. And he's really tried to develop their skills from an overall adolescent health approach and how the kids can change their behaviors at home with their own families. Now, are you finding with the emergence of these health councils that you, you are able to make some decisions that maybe change the menu a little bit or change snack options, whatever the case may be, the different op- items that you talked about, how they can uh, improve the environment of the school. But are you finding that they're able to actually, just with some good decisions and ch- choosing this over that, that they're actually able to move in a healthy direction without really adding much cost in terms of you know, added expense to the budget? Because mm-hmm. obviously that's one of the things that we, you know, in school districts always have to deal with is, funding, mm-hmm. um, that you find that they're able to, with some of that, be able to get strategic and really move in a healthier way, but not necessarily crush the budget. They they have. We've had schools that the cafeteria manager has really stepped up and become a key player on one of the councils. Actually, we've got two specific schools where the nutrition manager decided, you know, every Wednesday we're going to do fruit and vegetable smoothies. So instead of, you know, choosing milk or water, maybe they're choosing a smoothie that day. Um, There's also some strategies. You know, we've got well-trained and well-credentialed nutrition services staff in our school district and within public health. And together, they make really good decisions. You know, we put fruits and vegetables maybe at the front of the food line. Mm -hmm. So they do see these behaviors. We have smart snack policies in several of our schools where, you know, we might not bring in cupcakes, you know, as often. Right. So we look at the schools to really design how they want to approach the federal smart snack policy and some of the guidelines that are given to them. But individually at the schools, they can make some decisions and we've seen a lot of good improvement. And I know that the Power Up for 30 program focuses heavily on the, the grade school, the lower age mm-hmm. um, students. But what we're talking about here with regards to the council and their overall approach, that's K through 12 in terms of their focus and impact. Right? Correct. Yep. And so as far as the, the facilities um, that that are participating, what were the schools? Thank you. You mentioned six schools. You want to mention the which ones we're talking about? To I would love to. a little to. attention here for of what course. they're doing? We have Mableton Elementary, uh, Floyd Middle, Smitha Middle, Cheatham Hill. Let's think for a minute. I'll put you on the Smyrna. spot We've got Smyrna. I think that's five. I'll probably miss one. Floyd, Smitha, Mableton, Smyrna, Cheatham Hill. There's one more. I'll come to it in a minute. It'll okay. come to me. And it's relatively early in the COP2020 initiative. I know it's been going for, I guess, two or three years now, getting underway. I mean, are, is data starting to come in now as far as how we're doing? Or is it a little bit further out before we can really start to see the impacts on our overall like rate of obesity or um, like if... Uh, Power Up for 30, I know they do some basic testing, for example, as part of that to see where they start and then where they progress to. Are, do we, are we starting to get any data in that's kind of showing it's doing what we want? Mark really is the data guru from a um, research standpoint, so I'll definitely want to defer to him. But from a public health perspective, we are it's a really good question, CW, because come January is when we'll start doing our community health assessment for the our entire health district with Cobb and Douglas County. So we always look forward to comparing, you know, our five-year trend data to see have we made improvements in chronic disease specifically. And we, of course, look at many other areas, as you can imagine. Are you starting to see something show up, Mark, with with regards to these types of programs? 
Well, I think the principals in the schools definitely have changed practices. And part of this uh, was, uh, I guess, based on a needs assessment uh, that, that our school district, uh, we implemented the uh, school health index, which was produced by the CDC as a beginning metric for, for every school in Cobb County. And uh, we have now included the, uh, the Alliance for Healthier Generations uh, Healthy Schools Assessment Tool. So it gives schools a, a baseline to, to examine uh, practices in health education, the amount of recess time, uh, quality physical education, and, and the like. So I think uh, there are many uh, parameters uh, when you look at childhood obesity, um, nutrition, physical activity, the love for movement, all of those go into that. So I think uh, uh, all of our schools are required to, to engage in that assessment um, and then develop an action plan to address weaknesses and to maintain strengths. Now, how, how, how far up through the grades do those types of assessments go? That's uh, K-12. Is it? It's okay. K-12. And so each building uh, engages their wellness team. Uh, and Wendy really mentioned uh, a quite uh, a good variety of folks that do serve on those. And this has been in existence probably for the past, uh, I would say, eight, eight years that that reauthorization, the WIC reauthorization, mm-hmm. which required... Uh, all school districts in, in, in the country to have school wellness councils. And what's, what's that evaluation look like for the students? What sorts of things are they going through to assess where they stand? Well, the, the assessment is not specifically with students per se, but it's on policy. It's on practices uh, relative to the school and community. Uh, how many minutes of health education, how many minutes of physical education, uh, the involvement of, of healthy snacks, uh, all of those pieces, community involvement. Are there programs for staff in addition to students? So based on, on that comprehensive survey, uh, I guess a, a, a plan is developed based on those weaknesses, and that, that guides their annual uh, focus and programming. So, so there's not an individual fitness test for each student? Well, there is, there is a fitness test that... Mm-hmm. Uh, that the state of Georgia employs with all students enrolled in physical education. Mm-hmm. That's really a separate, and that's, that's governed by the Georgia Department of Education's administrative rules uh, and policy. So, okay. so there are two things that, that kind of support each other, uh, but the wellness authorization doesn't require fitness assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really part of the Department of Georgia, uh, Department of Education's uh, policy on assessment. So the fitness gram. Uh, is is conducted for every student enrolled in physical education annually. Now, I don't necessarily know that it applies to schools in the Cobb-Douglas County areas. I just remember a little while ago hearing, at least in one of the counties, where they were cutting back on physical education, the you know, PE and, and recess types of things. I mean, what tends to be the driver when a school is going down that path, reducing recess or reducing P- access to PE? Is it more, do you, do you find that those schools would be doing so around some sort of a budgetary constraint or, or what would drive that sort of a choice, do you think? Well, that's a great question. I think uh, uh, in, in Cobb schools, um, all schools do offer health and physical education. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, there, when there is a decrease in budget, principals ultimately are responsible for staffing that position. I see. So uh, it's really around the teacher side of things probably drives as much as anything, do you think? Uh, Availability of being able to pay them. That's correct. Yeah. And and the amount of, uh, the amount of uh, I guess, teacher positions a principal can employ. And as far as the, the Power Up for 30 
program that that we talked about a little bit earlier in in the discussion how is that going now because when we when we first talked with um you know the folks uh, dr kennedy and the other folks that joined us in the studio it sounded like there was some pretty good progress we had several hundred schools involved what's the What's the level of participation now? Because it sounded like there was starting to gain some mass and more and more schools were starting to see that maybe it's not as intrusive on our day and, and on what we're trying to do in the course of the day as we thought. Well, it supports uh, uh, movement at the K-5, the elementary level primarily. The middle school and the high school program are still being developed, but all of our elementary schools are involved in that Power Up for 30 uh, initiative. And so it really gives those those schools... I guess, incentive to uh, produce movement before the school day, during the school day, in classroom teachers, not just physical education, recess, uh, out of the day, uh, after school clubs, and things of that nature as well. And one of the things I know that was sort of behind the genesis of that uh, program was some studies that showed that children that are active, and I'm sure it's not just true for the younger students as well, but children who are being active throughout the day, um, particularly when you start passing that 30 minutes of activity, that they actually end up doing better with reading comprehension, mathematics scores, things like that? Well, we, we did look at this uh, very, uh, we did research in Cobb County on fitness levels in what's called the healthy fitness zone. And we looked at uh, variables such as school attendance, uh, student discipline referrals, and most importantly, um, the ability to perform on academic achievement tests. And so those students who had higher levels of of fitness, health-related fitness, uh, did better on CRCTs uh, and, of course, exams, um, as well as they were better behaved. Uh, They did attend school more regularly, which is a critical factor at the secondary level uh, specifically. So so we, uh, we did this research probably three years ago. We're looking at another set of data that's been sent off and uh, it's being analyzed right now just to to show that cognitive motor link uh, between movement and, and academic achievement. I know when we first met Dr. Fitzgerald in the studio, she mentioned some studies out of Kansas, I believe it was, where a lot of that data was being generated, but it sounds like you all are contributing to the literature with what you're doing and, and the programs you've initiated here. Well, we have been and we feel it's a, a strong, uh, I guess, part of our advocacy efforts in in uh, emphasizing that link uh, uh, for the whole child. And now you mentioned that they are developing some programs that will help bring the young adolescent children and even into the high school age kids um, access to programs like this that incorporate movement or at least activity on some levels when maybe it's not been available uh, previously. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Well, I don't know specifically those those programs. I think the the uh, the, dic- the difficulty uh, with that uh, middle school and high school age student is is the schedule. Right. Uh, there isn't a, a, a break time or, per se or a recess time. Yeah. Not all students have physical education uh, at the middle school or the high school levels. Yeah. And uh, the, state, the state of Georgia requires 90 hours of health and physical education combined at that K-5 level. Uh, and so how school districts uh, dice up those, those minutes, that amounts to 50 minutes of health education weekly, and around 100 minutes of physical education, uh, those state rules don't apply to middle school where it says make available. In the high school, you have one course for graduation requirement. Yeah, and, and, and of course, the students who are in athletics, obviously much of that athletic activity is happening outside the scope of the regular school day. So 
and in that way they get their activity in, but it's outside of the regular school day. So I'm sure building it in within the academic constraints of time that they have, has got to be a little bit of a challenge, but I'm sure that, um, it would be good to be able to have some sort of activity that they can build for those younger students after they pass out of that power up for 30 age. Well, you know, a lot of our middle school principals, <laughs> I, I do a lot of presentations to teachers, uh, to gifted student, uh, teachers, to remedial, uh, uh, teachers and they realize the benefit of movement helping a student to focus, be engaged, and ready to learn. There's also the research uh, by uh, uh, Dr. Raddy that talks about the level of hormones that are released that really help uh, de-stress a student. So mm-hmm. it's not just before you take a test you need to do some movement, but it just it just helps level the playing field. And if a student feels uh, threatened or unsuccessful, some movement helps them to to get over that hump and be be ready to uh, be receptive to the teacher's uh, instruction. And how do you make middle school boys sit still for long periods of time? That's always a challenge. So right. just getting them up. And uh, I think we had last show, somebody talked about just having the students be active during the classroom, well, the classroom setting. Uh, that's right. And we subscribe to a number of resources that are provided to, to schools to do just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of my work uh, with that K-5, K-8 group is to put stability balls in as many classrooms as possible mm-hmm. to, to en- engage those kids in, in movement breaks that do cross-lateral uh, uh, physical movement. And again, that, that really just the cross-lateral movements are part of, the, uh, part of our program that, that help that student be focused, ready to learn, be able to cross from left to right when they're reading uh, integrate uh, multiple parts of their brain simultaneously. So it's uh, it's really a kinesthetic learning. Mm-hmm. And that would certainly be useful for children who are dealing with sensory processing issues. I know crossing midline and different activities like that, that would that, that it was kind of surprising. My, my daughter actually was one of those kids that's high potential but had some processing issues and working with an occupational therapist. There were different things that she talked about that talked about doing just that made you do things that would make you cross the midline and mm-hmm. in terms of your body turns and different things like that and strengthening and and all those activities helped academic performance in the end being able to focus because it, it sounds like based on what I was learning from that occupational therapist is that sort of issue affects many children and a lot of times they'll be diagnosed as say ADD or um, learning disabled when really what they have is that their their brain is needing them to move so if they can accommodate that side of their needs, and then I can actually focus and hear what you're saying, student, and perform better, just like what you're talking about. Exactly. Now, where do folks get can can go to get more information to to learn about some of these programs that we're talking about within the school district? Well, uh, we the Cobb the Cobb County website uh, cobbk12.org. Uh, there are links to the health and physical education side of the house, and that would that would be a start. Uh, many Google searches on academic achievement, uh, brain energizers. Uh, Health Empowers is an organization uh, in the Atlanta area uh, that also supports uh, these initiatives. And we we had them on the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And are there are there any other issues that we need to throw out there for for folks that uh, can talk a little bit more about how we're tackling childhood obesity, or do we get you where we needed to be? Well, I'd say one one final thing would would have to do with uh, just the collaboration. You know, schools have have an enor- enormous uh, call. Uh, to educate the whole child. And uh, yeah, so frequently, many organizations are in their own silos. And so for, for me, strategic planning, you know, with Parks and Rec, you know, with health departments, uh, with the business community, uh, with all of those various uh, entities is, is critical 
in collectively making in that action plan to to address specific needs. Because if one group is headed towards one direction and another group is focused on something else, and, and, and unfortunately, funding drives a lot of these separate dysfunctional, uh, um, I guess, activities and, mm-hmm. and plans. So for us to really be together, and I think that's the beauty of COB 2020, is it has really brought many, many constituents to the table. And then to have those people in uh, the upper echelons of all these organizations really believe and and make that happen. So, Do you still have a few yet that you need to bring on board as far as participation in whether it's Power Up for 30 or um, other uh, programs that are kind of comprising the effort against obesity and childhood obesity in particular here? I do, but I, I think that it's the at the local school. So any, anyone listening to the broadcast today would be just in, uh, encouraged to, to reach out to that school principal and, and ask to be involved in the school wellness council. Okay. Because that's, that's a first step, and that's the very closest thing that they can do to support uh, that school and that principal. And obviously there's several programs around the county that uh, Wendy was talking about that are participating that would be able to share some uh, best practices that have been effective for them and how they were able to integrate those types of activities into their uh, school day. Um, how about you, Wendy? Uh, you want to talk about the website where folks can go to get more information? I know COP, it's COP2020.org, if I'm not mistaken, um, for the main website. Right. COP2020, and um, you can always go to COP and Douglas Public Health.org. Um, I think our overall goal with the Sharing Spaces initiative, um, again, in the pre-planning stages, but, you know, if we can get well-designed playgrounds and, you know, just open spaces and available facilities and equipment, um, it it really will encourage youth and their families to be more physically active, and we know that that will improve overall health outcomes. So we're very excited about the partnership. And so if you are one of those faith-based organizations, maybe you have some sort of facilities, whether they are walking trails, um, playgrounds, gymnasium kind of space, or uh, maybe your business has access to any of those types of things, please reach out to the folks at the Cobb 2020 initiative to tell them about your uh, resources and perhaps find a way that people in the community can actually take advantage of that when they're not being used uh, for their primary focus. So that way uh, you'll have a hand in helping these really, I think, very important programs that are underway with the Cobb Dugley. Cobb Douglas uh, Department of Public Health and the Cobb 2020 initiative as a whole. So um, if you need more information, as as, uh, Wendy was talking about, you can go to uh, Cobb2020.org. And on that website, it'll take you to information about all the various programs and all the different focuses that they have, ranging from our children, as we've been talking about today, to the various primary care and wellness type efforts that they're making in the community for the adults. So uh, great information out there. And and to both of you, uh, both Mark Anderson and Wendy Parker, joining us in the studio today, I really want to say thanks so much. I know it's not always easy coming into uh, Midtown from uh, Cobb County. So I appreciate you making the journey to join us here to talk about these things. And we look forward to having more uh, colleagues from the, the Cobb 2020 initiative coming in to share some more of the preventive and, and you know, actual health efforts that you're making for our community because we really appreciate sharing that information to break down those silos that Mark was talking about. Mm. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. And going back to uh, the Health Connect South side of things, if you get over to the healthconnectsouth.com, stay in touch with uh, their website and and keep up with the things they've got coming up. Yeah, look for more details on the February 9th event in Nashville and please complete the survey and get a chance to win a Fitbit. 
And uh, for all the folks that uh, checked out the show today, if you're checking out the podcast in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll find the Apple logo. That'll take you to the Health Connect South radio show podcast. Subscribe to us there. That way, every week, the new episode will be downloaded straight to your device. You can check it out on your way to work. And turn around and share this because, as you can see, there's some information that we're clearly trying to get in the hands of both parents uh, as well as business and, and church leaders around our community to help get them involved in this. Uh, so sharing this with your connections around your social media side of things uh, right, might put this information in the hands of somebody that can really make a difference. So we hope you do that. And uh, we'll make an appointment to see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 